Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Bukhari Sellers podcast. Thank you to everyone at Spotify. Thank you to everyone at The Ringer. Thank you to everyone who produces and is a part of the show. We've had great guests on the show, everybody from Deshaun Watson to Hillary Clinton. Uh, thank you to Craig Robinson, who was on our last episode. Upcoming, we have great guests, Josina Anderson and Steve Harvey, coming up on the next couple of episodes. But today is uh, it's a sad day because I know that many of you all are still processing the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, as we should be. She was an icon. And more importantly, even more importantly, she was our last line of defense on the court on so many issues from women's rights to reproductive rights to affirmative action. Now, I'm always somebody who's honest on this show, and I won't sugarcoat things. The next few months are going to be hell. President Trump likely will appoint someone, likely Amy Coney Barrett or Barbara Lagoa or Allison Jones Rushing. He was going to make that nomination within the next week or so. And hearings will start this fall. We all need to know that. And there's a good chance, a likelihood, they'll be confirmed during the lame duck session between the election in November and the end of the year. So we got to be honest about that because at the end of the day, we need to focus on winning in November. I'm so sick and tired of Democrats bedwetting and talking about what we need to do with the courts come January. Because if we're honest, making November about elections plays into the hands of Republicans right at a moment when COVID and the economy has us where we want them. But when we win in November, it's time for Democrats to make the courts a priority as they should be. And here's what that looks like on January 21st, the day after we inaugurate Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. You see, assuming President Trump gets his nominee, which he probably will, we need Justice Breyer to announce his retirement shortly after President Biden is inaugurated. We have no idea what 2024 will bring. And he's 82 years old today. God forbid we win in 2020 but lose in 2024 only to have a then 86-year-old justice hanging on by a thread. If we win the Senate and the White House, we will need Justice Breyer to step down and make way for the first black female Supreme Court justice, period. Second, within the first 100 days, and this is even that much more important, and in addition to COVID relief, Congress and a Biden-Harris administration must put forth a package around democracy and judiciary reform. Not enough of our elected officials are talking about this. This includes making D.C. and Puerto Rico states, ending the filibuster and expanding the Supreme Court, also dramatically expanding the federal court system. This is something that I, the host of the Bakari Zellers podcast, me, put into the Democratic platform because it's that important. We must expand the federal court system and peg growth of the federal court system to population growth so that our courts grow with us. Adding potentially four new seats, Democratic seats, to the Senate, diluting what will be a 6-3 conservative majority on the Supreme Court come January, and paving the way for the first black woman on the Supreme Court with Justice Breyer's retirement and expanding our federal courts in a fashion similar to what President Carter did back in the 1980s, that is how we honor the notorious RBG. What Republicans are showing us in real time and in striking fashion is that when you have power, you use it. Democrats, we just bed wet. Democrats haven't prioritized the courts the way the Republicans have, and we're paying for that price right now. But that's what needs to change in January. 
And if it doesn't, we'll have no one to blame but ourselves. Now on to our show with my sister and good friend, Josina Anderson. Welcome to the Bakari Sellers Podcast, another great episode with one of my good friends in the sport industry in NFL, Josina Anderson, who is special. And not a lot of people know what Josina Anderson is up to now. Tell me what's going on. How are you coping through COVID? What's new? What's next? What are you doing? So uh, as far as COVID, obviously, it's been a transition for everybody (laughs) and just trying to cope with life at home, things being slower, not being able to move as quickly as you would like to, and obviously trying to be careful with your health. Um, As far as professionally, uh, obviously, I'm in a different space. People know that I have left ESPN and I'm making this transition now to, um, you know, building up my own show and doing that uh, independently and also trying to just um, harvest and cultivate the space of owning your own content, owning your own IP. And, you know, just like you are hopefully getting your show signed and yourself signed as a talent as well. And I think for somebody like myself, who's been in the television industry for 20 uh, years or maybe a slight, you know, less than that, it's a natural transition for me. And I hope to really um, capitalize on my Rolodex for the show. Well, look, walk me through the arc of your career. We ask a lot of our guests this, especially uh, the guests that individuals see all the time. And you're, I mean, Josina Anderson is a household name, right? When you're talking about football, we you got to talk about Josina Anderson. And understanding that, many people don't know how you got to where you are. So talk about the arc of your career from your first job reporting out of UNC to what you're up to now. And how did you get into reporting on football? Well, um, I was not a journalism major at the University of North Carolina. At you were a track star, though. Track star. I, I, I was a I I track star, so <laughs> we're going to raise the roof. Not the ceiling is the roof, as my other alum would say. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, I did have some internships in Durham, and I was able to use the television internships to catapult myself to my first job in Coos Bay, Oregon, which I tell people is the last piece of sand. Where is that? Oregon. Coos Bay, Oregon. It's four hours away from Portland, two hours away from Eugene. And it's the last piece of sand that you could put your pinky toenail on at the tip of Oregon. And that's basically where I was. I was in a a building that looked like a converted barn. My prompter was run by a bicycle pedal and I was covering all high school sports and shooting my own stuff. So nobody can say anything was just given to me from the get go. Like I, I went to this, you know, more of a, the sticks area by comparison. I want to offend anyone in uh, Oregon to where I am now in, in the New York area and certainly uh, paid my time out there for a year, a month and a day. As we tell people. <laughs> <laughs> to be exact. <laughs> Are you recounting? You were counting those I days. I mean, just a little bit. I mean, you know, I mean, it's, it's far away from home. So I, I think I was out there 399 days, but something like that. <laughs> so what, what was the sports culture like in North Carolina? I've had on the show just for the record. We've had uh, Antoine Jameson and Vince Carter did a joint oh. episode on the pod. It was great, oh, great nice. episode. We've also had uh, Danny Green recently live okay. from the bubble. Okay. Uh, it, I don't. I have way too many North Carolina folk on this That's show because we we're out here like that. We represent and we're in multiple spheres doing our things at you know top tier levels. So naturally, you're going to run into us. But this, I mean, I don't think I had any more like the first two years at Carolina. It was there was so fun. I mean, between being track by track because I wasn't of, you know, sorority (laughs) and between, you know, 
Dre Bly and myself and rapping in the study hall and not paying attention and, you know, doing the, the parties and things like that. And, you know, whenever Duke would lose, we might throw a couch over the balcony, a couple things like that, you know, <laughs> spray paint, light blue on their campus, you know, you know, the typical things you do in college. <laughs> Who's faster, uh, Josina Anderson or Marion Jones? Oh, definitely Marion Jones. However, <laughs> I will tell people this, that when we did our little reaction test in college with me and Dre Bly, because uh, we had the same major, I did beat him, you know, with the reaction oh, test. Oh, I don't that's, believe that's that. That's a, a little fun fact I like to tell people. I'm going to call Dre today. We'll fix that. I'm going to call Dre today. I don't know. He won't admit it, but it's for sure true. <laughs> who, who are some of the black women who inspired you to get into football reporting? Well, I would definitely say Pam Oliver. She's, you know, closer to my uh, generation. Obviously, someone who was at ESPN, Trailblaze, Elaine, and what I'm doing now. And I I think just for her, too, she was so, um, you know, at the forefront on our televisions when you're talking about watching uh, football on a a Sunday evening or a Sunday. And then and someone that's not even necessarily uh, Black. I mean, just even in the sports broadcasting uh, field in general, you know, uh, Hannah Storm, uh, Leslie Visser, watching those ladies, you know, um, anchor sports too. It wasn't uncommon for me to, because we know we use videotape back in the day, VHS, <laughs> you know, record the sports cast, put it on mute, and then do my own highlights on top of that at home, trying to, you know, act like Stuart that's Scott dope. and guys oh, like yeah. that. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. Dope. So- because I always tell people, listen, just because you're not, you don't have an internship, don't mean you can't practice at home. So you can always write <laughs> oh, your own stuff. That's a, that's a good tip. I hope everybody listening to that. So so much of your job, if people don't know this, I, I know this from knowing you really well, comes, it, it's about sharing intel and you get a lot of that from the players themselves. How have you built that kind of trust that you have with players where they share information with you? Uh, how did you build that rapport? I think first and foremost, Bakari, it starts with having a spirit about you that people can detect. You know, you can't fake authentic. And when you come in locker rooms and you go to games and you're interacting with people, people can tell right away what type of spirit you have. So it starts with that. And then secondly, being educated about what you're talking about. Um, When I come in the locker room, even though I uh, am very much into fashion, people know that. But um, oh, really? We couldn't we couldn't tell with you on the sideline where in, I, in Philadelphia, wearing a whole a whole fur about to jump <laughs> off your neck on TV. I was not seen wearing any chinchillas, but uh, <laughs> and you know, and it would be false if it was anything like that. But anyways, um, but no, I, I think that your insight, your intellect precedes whatever you're wearing, how you carry yourself, your class, things like that. So you know, players can tell that. And then I think thirdly, something that's very important is you know, whenever I'm reaching out to coaches, general managers, players, what have you, I'm not just reaching out to them when I need information. Like we genuinely have conversations in between the scoops that maintain the rapport so that it's not like, you know, now something is crazy and now I need you and I'm, I'm blowing you up like the other day when the Jadavian Clowney was, you know, news was, you know, super big. I mean, I, I must have called. Oh, no, I've, I've been blown up by Josina Anderson <laughs> when Stefan Gilmore about to sign with the Patriots. I get I get my text messages. I mean, I, you know, I'm like, <laughs> where's my heads up? I just talked to your boy a couple of days ago in advance of the Sunday night game they got against the. Um, the Seahawks. The Seahawks. So, yeah, yeah. I'd give them because so we worked out a little bit this summer and, and oh, Dre, Bly, Dre Bly. Don't, okay. first of all, that face. So he that you did just 20 push ups. You did too, but keep going. Don't, oh, <laughs> my goodness. Here, here we go. We're friends, we're friends like you who needs Republicans. So, anyway. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, so no, we, we worked out during the summer. Dre's a, a, an amazing, an amazing DB coach. And so I reached out to Steph and I said, you know, the most amazing thing is you got, you got to guard somebody with my physique. 
like DK Metcalf. Like me and DK have built the exact same way. Oh, okay. Minus <laughs> so, about 45 pounds of muscle, but go uh, ahead. Pure, pure muscle. <laughs> so no, it's gonna it's gonna be a fun night. It's gonna be a fun night on Sunday night. Let, let's go through a let's go through some football talk real quick. Okay. I want to go through a rapid round to see what your predictions are this season, oh, if you can Lord. give them to me. Who so wins? You can the- hold me to this, and people can come back and say, say I was wrong, but go ahead. Yeah, yeah, basically. I mean, that's, basically. That's, that's, that's what we're going to do. At least who, you admit it. Yeah. Who wins, the, who wins the NFC? Oh, my gosh. Good Lord. Saints. Not with Michael Thomas hurt. Seahawks. I mean, he's going to come back. He would, they so, were just saying be- that that high who- ankle sprain wasn't as bad as they thought. Yeah, it's still an ankle sprain. You know that. And it, I, so I got, I have, I have the Seahawks. We, I, don't worry. You know I'm going to ring you, call you about this. Who wins the AFC? Um, I'm going to go with the Chiefs again. But the reason why I'll bolster your pick for the Seahawks is because we all know that Antonio Brown is out for eight games, and there's a good chance that he does end up in Seattle to help out Russell on the back half when you know a lot of people are tired and there's attrition. So. You know, your 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 pick could definitely and you know, that could be the NFC championship game. So we'll see. That'd be a good one too. It depends on where they play. Well, yeah. and maybe and and if they have fans in the stands, those things will matter. Yeah. Yes. But Sean Payton, you know, has had a lot of close calls getting to the Super Bowl the last couple of years. So, you know, I think if they're right at the doorstep that he's not gonna make um, you know, that slip away. Ooh, that's bold. What's the biggest story coming out of the AFC this year? And what's the biggest story coming out of the NFC? Well, I think the biggest story in the NFC, I'll just go quarterback. I would say, you know, Tom Brady going from the AFC to the Bucks with the Buccaneers. You know, very interesting week one. People said Belichick 1-0, Tom Brady 0-1 in terms of who would do better without the other. So it'll be interesting to see if they can mesh and they being, sorry, Tom Brady with the um, Buccaneers offense. No preseason. No preseason. That's no tough. Pre-season, you know, not having someone that you're so used to in Julian Edelman. Obviously, you have Rob Gronkowski, but it's still a different offensive system, different OC and Byron Lefwich. And then from the AFC, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind, it, I'll just go on the opposite end, is Cam Newton. Um, with I the was, Patriots. Yeah, I mean, you know. <laughs> so I, I think that Cam is going to be um, – I think Russell Wilson probably will win the NF, will win the MVP, but Cam is going to be one of the biggest storylines. He's going to be right up there. He's going to play – he's going to have an MVP season. What's an uh, even bigger storyline real quick is the fact that he's playing for so little. You know, I really feel like I just want to say this, that um, kudos to them for having humility, Jameis Winston and Cam Newton for signing at the levels that they did, which was not very much for their position. But I don't think either of them should have been made to wait as long. And I definitely think that they deserve to be uh, compensated uh, more for the position that they're playing. Well, Jameis is starting next year and Cam is going to make a whole bunch of money next year. Now, where that is. We don't yeah, know. but the like, gap between, you know, now and then, you know, I mean, listen, sometimes you let people like to see very elite and talented people toil in unemployment. You know, they know that you're good and they you, you just that like sound, that that sounded real personal. That sound real personal. I, mean, right I might say a couple of things. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but I, I, I think there's a little bit of human nature in that. But I mean, now everyone's like, oh, now we're in love with Cam Newton again after week one. No, this is a guy who went to the Super Bowl 2015. He's been elite. It's not a surprise is what he's I'm saying. He's an MVP. He's a league MVP. Yes. And he's a monster. He's huge. Yes. He's and we huge. like the yellow suit out the gate. 
You like the yellow suit with the red flower with Not the really, bam. I didn't actually, but I mean, I like that he was bald about it and he didn't so, change himself. So I'll give you, a, I'll give you a scoop uh, okay. right oh, now oh. On, on the show. Yeah, we're not doing it. We, we might do like a CNN breaking No, but apparently, as Steph says, uh, Cam gets dressed every single day. Every morning he comes into Gillette Stadium uh-huh. at 6 a.m. Oh. Fully, fully dressed. Oh, strong, t- he's on his strong To the T. You said that, <laughs> not me. To the T. You know, he is he is dressed to the T. And Steph's like, man, we in here wearing flip-flops. And right. we just, you know, we rubbing stuff out the corner of our eyes. And he come in there right. ready to work. Said he comes in with everybody else and he's always the last one to leave. Said nobody on that team works harder than him. Of nobody. course. And he's genuinely appreciative. My biggest storylines, the mm. AFC, Cam Newton, runner-up for the MVP. Uh, Aaron Donald probably will win Defensive Player of the Year because that he is a grown yes. man. Yes. Uh, but runner-up will be Stephon Gilmore again, and Steph may may win it. He's getting a pick uh, as well Shout this week. Shout out to South Carolina. Connects. Yeah, yeah. South Carolina, by the way, just a side note. I know you went to the other Carolina, but South oh, Carolina is – Excuse me, but South Carolina, shout out to Asia Wilson, WNBA MVP. Shout out to John Morant, who Uh is the NBA Rookie of the Year. Shout out to Dustin Johnson, the FedEx Golf Champion from South Carolina, and also Stephon Gilmore. We got range. (laughs) We got range. Uh, Who's your Rookie of the Year? Who's your Rookie of the Year? I got, I got, I got the the boy out of Alabama. I just feel yeah. like I, rugs. I think I think he's gonna have a great year. Okay. And he's special. Henry. Henry, he's special. He can fly. Well, I mean, yeah. When you look at the 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 forty speed, I'm not mad at that. I'm not mad at that. That's a that's a good pick. I might even co-sign with you on that. All right, there you go. Yeah. See, she's yeah. following my lead now. Who who's I mean, MVP? No, no, that's, not, that's actually a good I, pick. I, because, I, I mean, you know, he's he's very solid. Very who, solid. Who's your who's your MVP? Of the, uh, hmm. Now, I said Russell. Pat. I mean, how can you not go Pat? I mean, how can you not go Pat? Because Russell should have won it last year. Yeah, but you ha- part <laughs> of being MVP is also the pieces around you because people are also looking at, you know, how you're elevating the team as a whole. And, I but mean. Pat has weapons. That's Pat what has- I'm saying. But but you take Pat away, you throw in Jared Stidham. I mean, they're going to yeah, be decent. You take I'm Russell Wilson is- away. I understand what you're talking about in terms of Russell Wilson, maybe rising all boats in a different, you know, different way because maybe different, you know, talent levels or what have you. But also there's a differential there perhaps in the win loss record because of the better talent too. So that will be taken into like, even if you're making everybody come up, but you're still four wins back, you know, you're going to thank Patrick Mahomes for that. You know what I mean? And who's your surprise team this year? Man, my surprise team. Um, you know, it'd be very interesting. I, oh, I'm you know, thinking, and we tripping about rookie of the year because I just said rugs who should be, but Joe Burrow is a monster. Yeah, but I mean, again, win loss record. You know what I mean? Like, That's true. True. If, if they don't get a lot of wins, it's going to take away from it. And uh, he's there, but you know, as a as a whole, as a team, we'll see. But uh, <laughs> Ryan Clark said that they should redshirt him this year until <laughs> the Bengals until the Bengals get an offensive line. <laughs> I agree with that. 
Well, yeah, yeah, but he, you know, he absorbed the hits from week one pretty well and, and did a quick turnaround for the Thursday night game. But my surprise team, I'm going to pick one that's really, really out there. The Washington football team. And the reason why I'll say that is because that defensive line, I think, is going to be so special that I think it has the ability to propel the rest of the team in the way that they did in coming back against the Eagles week one. I mean, I think it was eight sacks. Oh, yeah. Against Carson Wentz. Tell me how good Chase Young is. Anything. Field position, anything. You know, and so I don't how know. Good is, how good is Chase? How good is Chase is Young? How good is he? Oh, he he's a mom. When you talk about having multiple, for, you know, first-round picks on that D-line, and then, you know, you're talking about the, that linebacker row and, and the speed that they have coming there. Um that was pretty special. I don't know if they're going to do it every week, but I mean, that was pretty special out the gate. You don't usually see that many sacks out, yeah, out the gate in week one with the short preseason. So you, you mentioned Antonio Brown earlier. Is he, I mean, I guess my, I wanted to ask you about free agent acquisitions, but is Antonio Brown going to play football again? Yes, because uh, he's serving the eight game suspension. And I do believe that there are teams out there who express interest uh, prior to him saying, you know, what the suspension actually was. That includes the Seattle Seahawks. I know that the quarterback from the Ravens definitely wanted Antonio Brown to come Lamar Jackson to uh, Baltimore. I think the uh, market for Antonio Brown could spread um, if there's a a lot of attrition at the wide receiver spot come the midpoint of the season, you know? So he will definitely have a market because there there will be injuries. I mean, you were talking about Michael Thomas, which, you know, you were incorrect. That, that's not going to be it. I'm joking. No, <laughs> He's not going to be out that long. You no, know I've I mean? seen, I mean, we had Tua, Tua, his sophomore year, had a sprained ankle. He had to go get the lapper. I'm going to misquote what it's called, but the laparoscopic, whatever, surgery on his ankle. It was a high ankle sprain. It was, mm-hmm. those, those things are tough. And mm-hmm. for somebody who's not a burner, Michael Thomas ain't fast. I mean, it's going to be tough for him. He is fast for an NFL player. No, he uh, ain't. Michael uh, Thomas? I mean, what, Michael Thomas I mean, running a 4-6? I mean, for an NFL player, uh, as I just said, he, I mean, he going up against you, he would dust. I mean, so fast. I mean, that's not. That's <laughs> not. I mean, first of all, by the way, I'm I'm winning the 40 at CNN. That, that. Oh, and, really? And I'm probably winning the 40 at the ringer. So go, I'm going to go tell Bill and okay, everybody else at the 40 ringer. 40 and 40. Okay. Yeah. I'm, de- I'm, de- I'm definitely 4-7. Oh, eight, okay. 4-8. Four, eight, four, eight. Probably five. Probably five. Probably five. For charity, Joe, since you're talking so much, let me know when you want to strap up and hey, go listen, out here and do it. There have a- been plenty of men who have been like you who have asked me to race. And I always tell them if I win any portion of the race, I have won because – we obviously have, you know, your no, that do not work. No, no, no. If I get no. out the blocks quicker, you're gonna if get I out have you're, twenty meter, you know, point quicker than you. You're gonna that's cheat. That's why you're you gonna get out the blocks quicker because you're gonna cheat. You're gonna, you gonna, you gonna go before no, the gut. No. Listen, I've had a couple races in my day where they've been mixed races between men and female, and and I've beaten some men in my well, day. I, I'm here whenever you want to do it. We can we can okay. go ahead and do that with the uh-huh. three highest paid quarterbacks in the league now being black quarterbacks: Mahomes, Watson, and Wilson. Do you think we finally turned the corner on the perception of black quarterbacks in the NFL? I definitely think that it has evolved as far as, um, you know, the broad spectrum of NFL industry, you know, being willing to accept that there can be success at that position from somebody who is African-American or someone who is a person of color. That said, that doesn't mean that every African-American or person of a, 
color who plays quarterback coming out of college is going to be those three individuals or a Lamar Jackson. You know, it's still the talent that's separating the acceptance of those players. So the talent is leading that first. And they still are generational players. I don't know how long it will be before we see uh, Patrick Mahomes, someone with that level arm elite talent, you know, coming out of college to match that and have the focus, the dedication, all those things that, you know, put you at the cream of the crop. You know, we had Deshaun Watson on the show and Deshaun Watson's brain is special. Like the way that he the way that he sees defense is the way he talks about it is we had 10 black quarterbacks starting week one for the, the, the most most black quarterbacks ever. And even one for your Washington football team. Um, so it <laughs> that's, pulled out the win. He sure did. He deserved. I mean, he's a he is the boy guy size. He's a special talent as well. If he can if Washington's just a really interesting place to play football, if he can get some talent around him, he's going to be good. But you know what that speaks to, Bakari? It also speaks to the importance, whatever job you have, of feeling support. Yeah. Feeling support is so important to your mindset, your longevity, how you approach work day to day. And we all know the stories, you know, of the previous 10, you know, um, coaching staff with Jay Gruden and them and then having Ron Rivera come in there. I, th- I think it's night yeah, and day. Ron is special, yeah. man. Shout out to Ron Rivera. He, he fighting, beating cancer. Uh, we miss we miss Ron Rivera in Charlotte, North Carolina, to say the, mm. to say the least. What's mm. the sentiment from the players you're talking to about the moment we're in, this racial reckoning, Black Lives Matter, and how the NFL has responded to it? Well, I mean, you have a diverse set of opinions. I mean, I think that there are people who are appreciative of the fact that the NFL, at least from a public standpoint, I should say, um, appears to have come around more and accepting the significance of what uh, players have been trying to bring attention to, you know, which is, uh, you know, justice in the streets, equality and things like that, police uh, reform and things like that, and just uh, mitigating brutality um, in the streets as well to people of color. At the same time, I know that there are people who feel like it's not enough. I mean, we just saw Colin Kaepernick put a statement out there Trying to Eric, underline what Eric he Reed is still unemployed, and Eric Reed is is a better safety than half the safeties in the NFL. Probably seventy five percent of the safety. Eric Reed is a monster back there. You agree with Kaepernick, Bacard? On which part? Well, I mean, I think he is trying to illuminate what he feels is hypocrisy from the standpoint of the fact that Eric Reed is talented, like you said, but still doesn't have a job. Then there are people on the other side who said, "Well, it's not like Eric Reed hasn't had jobs." You know, and then there's no, some. There's people- no, but there's there's Eric Reed is being blackballed by the NFL. I mean, okay, I, so all right. Yeah, so I mean, I, I firmly believe that Eric Reed is is that talented, and I just saw where uh, what's my friend from Buffalo who threw like 17 interceptions in one game, just got a job. Uh, he was Josh a backup. Allen? Not Josh Allen. Josh is good, actually. Uh, no, uh, I mean before Josh. Uh, oh my goodness, he just got re-signed. He's a. They consider him a work in progress. But anyway, you got all these people who still have jobs. Mitch Trubisky still has a job. Colin Kaepernick today is better than Mitch Trubisky. You have NFL safeties who are nowhere near as good as as Eric Reed. So there is a, uh, you know, can you be blackball when you had jobs before? I I, I don't think we're, you know, making yeah, a distinction. No, I think no, I think so. I think so. I think that I think that you know Ron Rivera had an opportunity. I'm just to take asking. It. I, by the way, I'm not saying whether he's no, or not. No, no, no. I, I and I, I respect that. No, Ron Rivera had an opportunity and needed a safety. Took the chance. 
I think it was a two-year deal that Eric Reed was on. He he fulfilled that contract. And I think that that other NFL ownership coaches aren't nearly as strong as Ron is when it comes to taking that chance. So um, you think that Eric's Reed opportunity came as a function of the head coach being Ron Rivera or ownership being someone like a David Tepper who wasn't even kind of in this establishment of owners. He's fairly, I think they were like, can he play? Yes. Sign him. Okay. I think that there are other factors right now. I mean, they haven't even apologized to Colin Kaepernick yet. Like Roger Goodell did an amazing statement. He's come a, a long way, but he he can't utter, you know, I apologize. So it's a very interesting time that we're in. Like, what do you what do you make? Oh, by of, the way, I want to make clear that I do agree that Eric Reed deserves a job. Just so make sure I say that. Yeah. I don't know. Trust me, because Eric would text you and be like, "What? I don't deserve to play." Like, no, oh, no, no. <laughs> I, I want to make that clear, but I I wanted no. to have that conversation because you hear it on Twitter where people are like, "Oh, he's not blackballed. It's not like he didn't have a job." So I thought that that was important to clear. Yeah, you know, he don't, he don't have a job yeah. now, though. Te- that was all Tepper. That was all Ron. Re- that was more Ron Rivera than Tepper. Don't get me wrong, but like, tell me this. I mean, when you, as someone who, as a as a black woman, first and foremost, before you do anything else, what do you make of the booing you saw in Kansas City during the moment of unity when they just had a moment of silence for social justice? How does that? How do we reconcile all of these things? Well, I think it kind of disinfects you know, what people were trying to say before in terms of, you know, expressing ire to the previous protest because they felt like it was a disrespect to the flag. In this sense, you know, it was a demonstration of unity where no flag was involved and they were still booing. So what it does is it peels back the layers of, you know, something that I feel is, um, you know, the uglier part of, you know, what we're seeing right now that's, you know, happening amongst uh, sections of our society where, you know, whether you want to call it uh, racist undertones, whether you want to call it um, uh, political dissension, whatever it is that's coming to the surface as opposed to, you know, harmony and unity, which is what they were trying to demonstrate and show, you know, by locking arms and having that um, that demonstration that they did. So it it, I, I think it shows the honesty of what it truly was about in terms of people's true, the root of people's true ire when it came to not liking the previous protests. You know, I, I say this without any hesitation. As a sports fan, Josina Anderson knows more football or has forgotten more football than I will ever know. <laughs> so I have to ask you this question. Just a, And I asked Deshaun Watson this question, too. He was our first guest on the um, Bakari Sellers podcast. Okay. Which, isn't, which isn't a name that's that creative, but that that's all we, we settled on. Um, can, can, Colin, can Colin Kaepernick play in the NFL today? Yes, because I know of a team right now that would definitely sign him. Absolutely. That's, so you know of a team that would sign him, but like apparently he hasn't had those com- – his agent – I mean, you could clarify this, but apparently his agent hasn't had any conversations with any teams. That wasn't like a real thing. As far as I understand, there are conversations that have happened – what I was told by this source is that this person has been told that, you know, Colin is, is happy right now. Life is good. And when I asked for further clarification as to what that means, they didn't. But um, I know that the person who I'm talking to, you know, has good connections to that circle. And, you know, I didn't get the impression that a workout was eminent. It sounds so Colin, like- What you're saying is Colin don't want to play. I didn't say that. I don't know that for sure. 
But I, what I do know is that what there's that is is willing to work him out and give him an opportunity, whatever reason that that hasn't happened yet. Um, but there's a team that is out yeah, there we'll that to work him out. Last question, because I know you're busy. You got to prepare. Are you uh, We've seen the WNBA and NBA players begin taking public stances on issues like policing and criminal justice reform. Do you think we'll see NFL players be that bold and take those stances? I know we had the video with Pat and Stefan and a few others, but will they be as vocal as WNBA and NBA players in this in this arena? It's tough. I mean, I think when the protests first started, you saw players like Brandon Marshall, Olivier Vernon, Kenny Stills, you know, not necessarily hesitate and kneeling. And some of them lost endorsements as a result. Um, Some of them didn't get uh, jobs or it took longer for them to get jobs. Um, And those are real concerns, you know, when your livelihood is at stake. Trust me, you know, I'm somebody who understands that currently. And so I get that. I think there's a difference between NBA players and NFL players because uh, we can have a nuanced conversation on guaranteed contracts and what's guaranteed. But the bottom line is NBA players feel their money is more secure. So you understand that. Uh, To answer your question, I don't think it will ever be as potent as some of the protests that we've seen um, in the National Basketball Association or even with the WNBA players. Um, You'll have um, and obviously there are more players in the NFL. So that's another, you know, um, part of that, too. But I just think it goes to overall job security and what their beliefs are, um, are the beliefs of ownership and how they feel like on the back end that might affect a future opportunity, which is unfortunate. But I I think we're seeing more acceptance of it now. Um, But I also feel like a lot of that, to be very clear, is performative. Um, Well, you you know, know, I have a but I, I got a I got a different uh, probably just a slightly like peel back the layer approach yeah. until black people in this country have access to wealth and are able to build the type of wealth necessary where they can be like Tepper and come in and write a $2 billion check that the league only has to finance 200 million of your purchase of a $2.2 billion team. And you can be an owner like that. Um, and you have more African-Americans who are like on the level of a Robert Smith who can own an NFL franchise and influence the way the Board of Governors works. I think that's what it's called. You you won't be able to see the changes that we see in other leagues. There is a lot more diversity, progressive ideology. I talk to Mark Cuban all the time in the, in the ownership of the NBA and the WNBA than it is the NFL. I think that just trickled down, trickles down to the players. But you know what I think is another important point uh, in comparison to the NBA and the NFL is that more of the top stars in the NBA are more vocal as well. I think that we need to see more diverse players in the NFL and some more of the top quarterbacks being more vocal about some of the disparities. And it shouldn't have to take what happened with uh, the Saints and Drew Brees, (laughs) you know, for, um, you know, a player to come, you know, more uh, in the forefront, even if they do hold opposite views politically. Well, I look forward to seeing you on the sideline again soon or <laughs> doing whatever you want to do. Where can people find you? Just tell people where they can find you and some of the things that they can expect next. So I'm launching a new show. It's called Undefined with Josina Anderson. Um, you'll be able to see that on my social media channels, uh, a new website that we're starting called Undefined with Josina Anderson.com. 
we're in the launching phase. It's important for me to get that off the ground before we go into the pitching, you know, <laughs> a stage for someone to hopefully uh, pick up the show. We have uh, good guests out the gate. I'm really excited about that. So who that's are they? The you ain't gonna tell nobody who the guests are. Of course not. You gotta wait. You gotta look. You gotta look. You gotta. It's call a tease. It's call a tease. It's call a tease. <laughs> But it'll be interesting for conversation. I thought I was about to break some news. That's okay. No worries. You can get some news from Stefan Gilmore. Go to your Oh, board. wow. I will call Steph right now as soon as we get off. I thought I called Dre Bly. But thank you so much for spending some time <laughs> with me today on the Bakari yeah. Sellers podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, the incomparable uh, Josina you. Anderson. Thank you so much. I appreciate you.